This morning's sermon text is from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. If you'd like to follow along, there's an insert in your bulletin, or you can use uh, page 897 in your pew Bible. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. 
Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is God's word. Poor Lazarus, right? Think about it. Four days earlier on his deathbed, he looks at Martha and Mary in the eyes and he says, the teacher isn't coming, is he? No, brother, I think he's not. And he endures the pain of death, that, that grasping and gasping for that final breath. But then he enters into the peace and joy and delight of the heavenly realms, never again to experience pain or sorrow or injury or even fear of death. But then like a, a bad dream, waking up from it, Lazarus is sucked back down to earth. And he finds himself sitting inside of a dark and stinking cave. Have you ever walked into a really big spider web? You know that panicking feeling, right? That's what Lazarus experienced, except they were grave linens wrapped around him like a mummy. He couldn't see, and he's panicking. He's like, where am I? And he wakes up in the stinking cave. And he walks out, and he sees a bunch of women dressed in black with mascara streaking down their cheeks, but they're jumping for joy. Poor Lazarus. In the very next chapter, in Jerusalem, the people hear that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and they want to kill him. Poor Lazarus. Add to that, what was Jesus thinking? He knows Lazarus is ill, and he will die if he doesn't return soon to heal him, like he's healed so many before, but he lingers, and Lazarus dies. Today, some people, certainly many people, would rebuke Jesus' action. What kind of friend would purposely let someone die? I don't get it. But Jesus has a bigger picture in mind. He has a reason for arriving late. In verse 4, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus' raising of Lazarus from the, from the dead is the pinnacle of all of Jesus' miraculous signs. Leading up to this, there was the miracle, what, of the turning the water into wine, the, the healing of the official's son, the, the healing of the invalid. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. And right before this, he, he healed a blind man. As wonderful as all of those miraculous signs are, though, they pale in comparison to Lazarus being raised from the dead. 
like all of Jesus' miraculous signs before, these signs were meant to say something true about Jesus. And this greatest sign of all was meant to validate Jesus' words towards Martha and us. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall not die. Do you believe this? Jesus wants us to hear these words, I am the resurrection and the life. And to see his work, truly raising Lazarus from the dead. And therefore, believe in him. Jesus has conquered death for all who believe in him. And so our big point this morning we must embrace is this. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We must believe in him. That's what we will look at under three headings. We will look at our problem, Jesus' power, and our proof. Our problem, Jesus' power, and our proof. Have you ever heard the saying... Well, that's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It refers to how we can be so turned in on some activity that we, that we don't notice the futility of what we are doing in light of the bigger picture. Um, imagine as the Titanic's going down. Uh, hey, Gary, you're doing a splendid job rearranging those deck chairs. Thanks, Michael. Uh, But um, the ship has hit an iceberg, and we're sinking. We're abandoning ship. Women and children first. Oh, well, I guess the men will need a place to sit. When it comes to our own mortality, our tendency is to rearrange the the deck chairs on the Titanic, or to use another saying, to, to bury our heads in the sand. We all know that one day we will die, but everyone seems to live as if it's never going to happen to them. It's true. Every other funeral we've been to, every funeral we've been to, have always been somebody else's, not ours. We repress the truth. Sigmund Freud studied the psychological malady that he called repression, where individuals repress or hide memories of traumatic events. People have thoughts they don't want to think, and so somehow our minds somehow push these thoughts down uh, below the, into the subconscious level. Now, is it possible that we human beings repress the truth that we will one day die? I think we do. We don't want to think about death. We want to go on enjoying our sunrises and our sunsets, our fun careers, and all-night binge-watching of Game of Thrones Season 9. There is no Game of Thrones Season 9. Darn it. It seems that we humans are pretty good at repressing the truth that our lives on earth have a beginning and an end. Not that we totally repress it, right? We can't. Why? Why? Because every day, all around us, there is death. People are dying. Every two to three months, we have a funeral to, re- to attend. So we can't totally repress it. We go to the funeral, and we, we comment how good and lifelike she looks, tell each other she's in a better place, and we give our final respects to the family. And we walk out of the funeral home, and we open up our Yelp app, and we say, oh, hey, there's an Applebee's right around the block. Our natural tendency is to live busy lives, avoiding the elephant in the room, which is our own mortality. But then, also, at some point, we begin to stress over the truth. 
the older you get, the less able you are to repress it. Your skin turns wrinkly. Your hair turns gray. You need a different set of glasses. You get four stents in your heart. And you realize you're closer to 80 than you are 40. Like my father used to say, if these are the golden years, I can't wait for the platinum. And so at some age, you will begin to think about your mortality. But chances are fear, doubt, regret, worry, and despair will creep in. Why is this? Well, the Bible says that, that God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind. Cows cannot conceptualize eternity. Neither can hedgehogs, rhinos, or jellyfish. But you and I can. I remember when my grandpa, called him Papa, he died when I was 10 years old. I remember lying full of tears in my, the bottom bunk bed in my, in my bedroom, trying to conceptualize what had taken place. My, my, my Papa had died, and I will never, ever, for all eternity, ever see him again. He will never exist. I tried to wrap my head around eternity. I was haunted. Then again, eventually, I went back to rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic of my life. So we're made for eternity. The problem is we, we all physically die. The Bible has an answer for why we experience life and death as we do. Paul explains in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin brought physical death. My friends, God made us in his image as, as physical, spiritual beings to reflect his glory in his creation, to, to walk around and to spread his glory and to, and to have a relationship with him and with each other in, in perfection. But Adam and Eve, they turned from their loving, life-giving creator. And when they turned, God's warning became true. He said, if you eat of the tree from which I forbid, you will surely die. Adam and Eve did not die immediately, but so began life and death for us all. But sin also brought spiritual death. Adam's death and consequently our death is not just a physical one, it's a spiritual one as well. See, unless and until God somehow gives you a new spiritual life through Christ, we are spiritually dead. That is, we, we both lack genuine communion with God, and we lack the ability to even remedy our situation. It is why Jesus told Nicodemus that, that he needed to be born again. There's like this new birth that needs to take place. And without this new birth, you can't even see this kingdom that I'm talking about, let alone even want to enter into it. And this, this new birth isn't something that we muster up on our own. It's something that God gives us through his Holy Spirit. So we have a problem. We tend to live our lives rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. We repress the truth that death is coming. And still, we age, as we age, we, we feel more and more um, that this reality is coming towards us and we become more fearful. Do, do you see this in your own life? Some of you may be thinking, you know, I came to church to feel good. <laughs> and here's this guy. He's like talking about death. All right, give me, give me 10 more seconds. That's all it's going to take. And we'll get to the feel good part. 
But the problem is this. If you persist in repressing the fact that you will one day die, then you will, for the rest of your life, live as those who rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. And then you will never have the ears to even begin to listen to the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet, he shall live. You will never hear those words and believe them and experience what Christ has to offer for you. There's a lot at stake. Now, for the good news. God looks down from heaven and he sees us in this condition that we're in and he has compassion for us. That is why the father sent the son. He pities our circumstances. And in our passage, we see, we see that Jesus weeps along with us. Jesus arrives outside Bethany and he talks with Mary and Martha. And Martha gets Mary and this loud, large crowd of mourners come And they go to meet Jesus. And then in verses 38 and 38, twice we read, 33 and 38, we read that Jesus was deeply moved. And in verse 35, we read, it's the shortest book in our English Bibles. All right, you can memorize this verse right now. Um, We read, Jesus wept. A group of mourners saw Jesus weeping. And what did they say? They said, see how much he loved Lazarus. And my friends, Jesus did. He loved Lazarus. But, and he's weeping over his death. But we also need to see that Jesus is really weeping over something far greater. And it's good news for us. What is it? Jesus is weeping over our weeping. He sees these people who are there. And they're weeping without hope. They believed that death was having its final word. They saw, Jesus saw their despair and their hopelessness. Can you picture that? He loves them so much and he sees them battling with suffering and death. And he has pity. He weeps that we as human beings experience this reality. Jesus hates how this wreaks havoc on us. And so here's something we must conclude this morning concerning Jesus' weeping. God cares for us. God sees our problem. He sees us struggling. He sees how we rearrange the deck chairs. And like a parent above who sees their kid doing something they just can't believe, he's like, gosh. I have such pity and compassion. In our deepest sorrow and grief, God weeps with us. But that's not often what we think, right? We often think God could have done a better job. What what does the sister say? Verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, well, good seeing you. (laughs) Have you ever said that to God? Maybe you use different wording. Lord, if you'd just been there, things would have been different. If you'd been there, that accident wouldn't have happened to me. That injustice wouldn't have occurred. I'd still have my job. There's no end to the reasons for saying, Lord, if you'd been there. We do this, don't we? Do you see how much this story is for us today? 
Next time you find yourself questioning God's compassion for your circumstance, bring to mind this scene that we're discussing this morning and bring to mind that that shortest verse in the Bible that you just memorized. (laughs) Jesus wept. And remind yourself that Jesus wasn't just weeping over one man, Lazarus. He was weeping over our weeping. The fact that our lives are so full of sorrow and death. Jesus sees us immersed in our problem and he fully sympathizes with us. So we looked at the problem. Now let's look at Jesus' power. Jesus doesn't just look on our circumstances, our problem, and then shrugs as if he unfortunately cannot do anything about it. No, Jesus has the power to conquer death. Right after Martha said her life would have been um, better if Jesus had arrived sooner, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha responds, I know, I know he'll rise again in the, in the resurrection at the last day. The Old Testament taught that there is a day to come, called, they referred to the last day in the future, wherein all those who belong to God will be raised to newness of life and, and live on a fully restored and recreated earth where there is no more sin or sorrow. And so Martha understood this. She says she knows Lazarus will raise, be raised on that, on that day. But she very easily could have said this, though, right? I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. But that's not, good much, that's not much good right now, Jesus. Jesus speaks to her, and he drops a hammer in verse 25. He looks her in the eye, and no doubt with great compassion, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, who I am matters. I'm your friend, yes, but I'm far more than that. I am the resurrection and the life. Not I will point you to the resurrection. Not that I'm just your teacher who will teach you about resurrection and life. He says, no, I am. I am resurrection and life. I'm the source of all the power. Jesus has resurrection power. He has power to raise the dead, and one day he will. And so in Christ, you, you can experience a personal reversal of death, physical death, as well as spiritual death. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying that that whoever believes in him, though they die, yet they shall live in this day to come with this resurrection in the future. And in a sense, he says, whoever lives right now and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is talking of death, right? But what is it that Jesus calls death? Sleep. Lazarus is sleeping, he told his disciples, and they're like, oh, he's just sleeping, he'll be fine. No, 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 guys, guys. Okay, he's dead. All right, but when when I say sleeping, I mean dead. Okay. But ponder this. Listen closely. Ponder this. It's just as easy for Jesus to raise somebody from the dead as it is for you and me to wake somebody from their sleep. 
Unless it's a teenager, of course. <laughs> it might take a little shaking. Some water. Those of you with younger kids, just wait. It's coming. I made pancakes. I don't want pancakes. All right. Jesus has the power to resurrect the dead. And one day, perhaps real soon, he will usher in what Martha refers to as the last day. On that day, everyone who has ever lived will be raised from the grave. And as Jesus described it earlier in in John's gospel, they will stand before God's throne and receive God's verdict over their life and receive either eternal life or eternal judgment. But Jesus isn't just the power to resurrect. He's also the power of life. Right now, you and I, we have life, right? We don't know how long it'll go on for, but Jesus is life. There's a distinction. Remember how John began his gospel in the very opening verses? He wrote, in the beginning was the word. That's what he calls Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. John John lets us from the very beginning know Jesus' identity. Jesus is God. He is the word of God that spoke all life into existence. Which is why John continues on in his introduction. The very next verse he says, In him was life. And the life was the light. In him, in this pre-existent divine being was life. All the life of the universe has its source in Christ, this word. And now the life-giving life of the universe has come into his own creation. His presence on earth, says John, is a life-giving light that shines into our darkness. Shines into our sorrow, shines into our fears, shines into our doubts. And it's meant to illuminate our minds so we do see and we do believe and we do experience what Jesus has promised us. You know, we human beings go through all sorts of links to try to reverse our aging process. Fish oil pills, thigh master, ketos, anybody trying that? All right, Viagra, surgery, um, All of these things are futile in the long run, are they not? They will never give us the lasting life we long for. There is no hope of resurrection life that exists inside of this creation. Because of this, the best we can do is rearrange the deck chairs by going through all of these things. But there is hope from heaven. That is why Jesus came. That's why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus stands before us. Get this clear. Jesus is the only one with the power of life for you. He's the only one who can give you what all your rearranging of the deck chairs is really all about. Victory over death. Freedom from fear of death. And an abundant life here and now in this broken world waiting for the age to come. Only Christ can give you this. Nothing else will. question is, 
Do you believe this? So we looked at the problem. We looked at Jesus' power. Now for our proof. Jesus gives us two proofs of the resurrection and of this life. The first proof is what? Lazarus, resurrection. We might find this hard to rationalize, but Lazarus' resurrection wasn't for Lazarus. It was for us. Jesus let him pass away so he could do this miracle so that we would understand the big picture. Jesus often performed miracles to help people believe. You remember how he fed 5,000 people from just a few loaves? And then what did he do the very next day? He said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so this miracle of raising Lazarus is similar. Jesus wants us to hear his words, right? There's my ear. uh, See his works and believe. And so after declaring that he's the resurrection and the life, he proves it by what? Raising Lazarus, giving him a personal resurrection. And, and, And so Jesus lifts up his eyes to heavenly father and he prays, right? And he prays so that everybody can hear him. He prayed out loud, not because God only hears you when you pray out loud, but he he prayed out loud so people would hear him talking to the Father, that they would know what he's about to do. It just didn't happen willy-nilly, so that they would believe in him and experience the joy of knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and life, sent from heaven to give us what we most long for, victory over sin and death and life eternal. And then Jesus, what? He simply speaks. Just as everything in this universe came to creation and came to life, came into being, we see in Genesis chapter 1, simply by God speaking words, let there be light. In a similar way, Jesus just speaks. Lazarus, come out. With words alone, resurrection occurs dead comes to life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead so that we too could see God's grace and glory and believe as well. Jesus is living proof for us. Well, he was living proof, okay. Eventually he died again, which is why we say poor Lazarus. He had to go through that a second time, which is why we need a greater proof. Jesus is our proof of a, our own resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection would, in the end, be a failure if it were not for Jesus' resurrection. Poor Lazarus had to die twice. But guess what? Because of Jesus' resurrection, Lazarus will be raised a third time. Third time's a charm, I guess they say. We don't have time to go into all the evidence for why you should believe that Jesus truly physically rose from the dead. If you genuinely want to investigate those things, come and, and chat with me. I'd be glad to sit down. Before I came to faith in Christ, and even after, I spent hour upon hour looking at so many different proofs or evidence that we can believe in Jesus being resurrected. It's overwhelming. But let me just give you one piece of evidence. If Jesus 
didn't really rise from the dead. Who would have known it? His disciples, right? Which means they created a hoax called Christianity, the center of which, the hinge pin upon it all, is what? The fact that supposedly Jesus rose from the dead. But it's not a hoax. Let me explain why this is impossible. If Jesus' resurrection was a hoax or it was a lie, then why did all but one of his disciples die defending that lie? Only John, who wrote this gospel, lived into an old age. All the other disciples had to stand before some accusers who demanded that they recant the story of Jesus rising from the dead. Otherwise, they would be put to death. None of them recanted. They all were killed. My friends, no one dies for a lie. We say, oh, I'm sorry. Whew, all right, all righty. All right, let me tell you. Okay, don't tell anybody else. But it's not true. Okay, thanks for sparing my life. I got a movie to watch. Um, no, no one dies for a lie. And so that evidence alone is enough for us to believe their testimony. Now, Jesus' resurrection means that God has done all that he needs to do to remedy our situation. God has seen us in our misery. He wept over our weeping. Our sorrow has become his sorrow. And he sent his son not just to live the perfect life in our place and not, not just to die for our sins. No, God sent his son so that he would rise in victory over sin and death. Jesus, Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' resurrection prove that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, the question he asked Martha, and the question for us is, do you believe this? Before you answer the question, let's do a word study. The English word believe is a translation of the Greek word pisteo. Pisteo, in, in most common usage in the ancient Greek writings, meant to trust. To believe and to trust are essentially the same thing, but often we don't live like they are the same thing, do we? In other words, we can say we believe that Jesus has won the victory over death for us, but how we live may betray what we're really trusting in. We say we believe that our bodies will one day be raised in glorious goodness, but then we live in fear of death and we lack joy. We can find ourselves depressed by our own mortality. Or we can find ourselves busy rearranging those deck chairs on the Titanic of our lives. We can say we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and yet we want to create our best life ever in the things of this world. In other words, we say we believe, but we're trusting in things other than Jesus. Do you have that tendency in your life? I believe, but then when you look at our lives, we're really just, we're fearful. We still don't believe. We're not trusting. How about we reread verses 25 and 26? Except this time, let's substitute the word trust for believe. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever trusts in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and trusts in me shall never die. Do you trust this? 
Jesus wants us to trust him. It's from compassion in his heart. He sees how we live our lives in such futility. He wants the best for us. He wants us to attach our lives to him so that he can care for us. So the question is, will you do that? Will you see that how all the rearranging of the deck chairs of your life are really symptoms of you repressing the truth? Will you see how you're lamenting of your aging process is a sign that you might believe Jesus is a resurrection in the life, but you're not trusting him. And isn't that what the Lord suffers all about? A chance to feed on Christ, not just with our heads, but with our hearts to confess again, like we did last week and like we did the week before, that we are hopeless apart from Christ. And that Christ has risen indeed. And this meal means that he will follow through on his promise to return on that day and to raise us in glory. Until then, we live in trust of Christ and who he is for us. Jesus has conquered death. Conquered death for all who believe. He's conquered it. And so we must believe in him. We must trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we confess there is so much competing for our hearts and our minds here on earth. So many distractions. So many temptations of the evil one. You will surely not die, he says. And we give in. We believe. Oh, how we need to hear from you. Jesus, you are the word. You came, you lived, you died, and you've risen. You are the resurrection and the life. We give our lives to you right now. We trust in you. We attach ourselves to you. There is no hope apart from you. And we delight that you've done this for us. For we could not have done it on our own. This is your gift of grace. And we thank you. Amen.